Welcome to Ready for Mistakes, a contemporary photography podcast where I talk with photographers and other lens-based artists about their work and philosophy and their views on photography within the world of visual art and beyond. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of Ready for Mistakes. I hope you all enjoyed the previous episode with Tristan Martinez. That was a really fun conversation. If you haven't given it a listen, definitely go check it out. And for those of you that managed to get a copy of the mini zine featuring some of his work from various projects, uh, thank you so much. And Tristan, thanks you as well. That was a really fun piece to put together, working with those photographs outside of the projects they were originally associated with. It was quite a lot of fun. In this episode, I am speaking with Brendan Burton, who is a photographer up in the Pacific Northwest area. Uh, he likes to photograph a lot of abandoned things in uh, rural America. Uh, he's gone on quite a few road trips around the country. Uh, he's got some really fantastic work. Uh, I'm really happy I got to speak with him. We actually were speaking for about three hours that afternoon, uh, but only about two hours, just under two hours, was the actual podcast being recorded. Needless to say, we had a really great time, and uh, this episode was really, really wonderful. Without much else, I would like to bounce on over to the conversation with Brendan Burton. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the next episode of Ready for Mistakes. Uh, as you just heard in the introduction, I am speaking with the wonderful Brendan Burton. So, Brendan, introduce yourself to the people. Hello, uh, my name is Brendan. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Um, looking forward to talking to you. Yeah. So, Brendan is a, like I just said in the beginning, uh, he's a photographer from the Pacific Northwest, and uh, as a few projects and recently published his book, American Poetry, which was kind of the, it wasn't the first project of his that I saw, but it was one of the first ones that really got me to start diving into his work. Um, but yeah, so Brendan, uh, tell me about like what your origin story of photography was like, what really made you start picking up the camera? Yeah, well, um, I guess I started photography when I was in high school, like I'm assuming most people do now. Um, and I started just kind of photographing, uh, my surroundings and because there was really nothing better to do. I grew up in an environment that was, um, kind of isolated and, uh, boring as I mean, most people I'm sure <laughs> can relate to, but, um, it was, uh, I grew up in a farming like lumber town in Southern Oregon. And, uh, my friends and I would literally have nothing to do over the summer because it was like, there were 2000 people in the town and it was so isolated that we couldn't even go and like, see, there were no theaters. There were no, you know, the, the your hobby is like walking around doing nothing. Um, <laughs> and so I figured I might as well be photographing through that process because, I had seen other people do it on the internet. I had just gotten the internet and I was like, Oh wow. Like you can, uh, really, you can really, uh, actively explore and document and share that with other people. And that was fascinating to me, but it was, it was, it was just like an, you know, I, it wasn't an extraordinary start and it was like, I took a photography, like 4-H club thing. We had 4-H, like I raised pigs yeah. and stuff cause I grew up on a farm and photography was one of the few things other than like table setting <laughs> that was offered in like terms of like creative stuff. And so I did that and I'm thankful that photography is such an accessible medium 
that it's you. I mean, almost anyone can pick it up pretty quickly, but it's the, you can bring it with you. I think that's, what's important. And I learned to bring it with me when I was young. So, um, that was my start. Yeah. I like that. Um, I had a a very kind of similar kind of process for how I started off. Um, I really began in a trip to Boston, but after that trip, you know, I'm back in the middle of Illinois. I don't have this really cool Atlantic uh, cityscape kind of thing to work with. So I'm stuck with (laughs) cornfields. So I had, I kind of had the same kind of feeling going on early on. Um, But like, yeah, thinking about uh, being in that kind of very small town, isolated kind of setting. um, uh, How did that kind of start to cultivate your interest in like American uh, decay and Americana in general with your, uh, with your work? Yeah. Well, um, the place that I grew up was, uh, it was a former lumber town and a lot of Southern Oregon is like that. A lot of people, when they think of Oregon, they just associate it with Portland and the Northern parts that are just, you know, it's, it's like Portland is at the absolute top border and there's this huge amount of space that is, uh, isolated. The rest of the state. <laughs> the rest of the state <laughs> is, is very much the, almost the, um, the textbook description of kind of cultural isolation and decay. Yeah. And I think that, um, growing up in that and like seeing how living in a place that was once prosperous, that was no longer what it was associated with when it started was, um, very much reminiscent. Little did I know it was reminiscent of a majority of the United States. Um, I think that, it's a, it's a very common thing to, uh, see a place and see what it used to be and then kind of, uh, examine that. And I think that that's what I, I started out doing. I mean, I started out doing it unknowingly, but then after a while you kind of start to see, um, you start to connect the dots and you have to be like, Oh, well, why are these, rotting things constantly making an appearance in my work and you're like oh it's because that's the majority of the environment so yeah exactly like um looking through your work like i um i know a lot of them are shot in the northwest um but like there's photos that look like they could have been shot in louisiana photos that could have been shot in indiana in like literally anywhere in the country even though you know i i I noticed that you don't have like the specific location stamps, but like it almost doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, being that it's just kind of like this idea of America and this particular idea. Yeah, I do. I am lucky to live in a place that is uh, very um, ecologically diverse. Um, there's a lot of different biomes and there's a lot of different uh, landscapes in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I think that it is a lot easier to like pretend like you're somewhere else. It's kind of like uh, when yeah. old movies were made and down in California and they just used like the desert and then they went up to the forest and they just pretended like it was all over the world. But in reality, it was just this very like small radius of California. Right. And um, yeah, I think that location is really important to my work. Um, location is pretty much everything when it comes to a lot of my series. Yeah. And I think that if you would pinpoint 
a specific area and like kind of it would take you out of it in a, in a weird sense. I'm also like kind of protective of the of a few of the areas. Exactly, yeah. You know, I think that a, a lot of the time one of the most common questions I get is where is this? And it's like Yep, yep. You know, that's I don't mind sharing um certain areas, but then on other things when it's like a very fragile one of a kind thing, like a lot of the abandoned stuff that I go to or a lot of the uh, they're, they're very fragile. They're not going to be there forever. And they're like literally on their last legs. So to send a bunch of strangers there, not knowing, yeah, just, it's, it's, it's just inciting potential, uh, potentially losing this place. That's really important. But if it's yeah, just like it's a, like the sense you know, of purity. if it's just like a normal place then I'm like, yeah, I'll obviously share it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, um, like thinking about uh, all the different projects that are made in the Southwest, like there's, there's a lot of photographers that have made or are currently making projects in and about Amer- the American Southwest. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting seeing them all photograph some of the same exact subjects. So things like the Cadillac ranch and there's mm. this giant alien, I think that's in um, uh, East California or something like that. But like there's all these like iconic things but then there's some little oddballs in those projects that are like, these are completely untouched, whereas all these other ones are either vandalized or they are so touristy. Um, and the photographers often like embrace that, like this is a tourist attraction and I'm going to make it look like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do, so like I, thinking about, sorry. I, I do, I do see that very, uh, and I really admire that kind of work. I think that that's like um, a lot of the work that I grew up loving and like kind of inspired me is that kind of thing where it's just the hyper normal or like just the very, uh, like the new topographics and yep. things like Stephen Shore where he just was going around shooting, you know, the American road trip experience, I guess. And it is very admirable. And I think that, um, that timelessness that comes from it is because of the, it's just aged well. It's like a wine, you know? And I think that modern doing that in the modern day, it's hard to appreciate it as much. Cause you're just like, I see this stuff. And I think that that's kind of the art form is the fact I'm, I'm always impressed by people who can go out in their town or like a city and just like find something every time and photograph it and find it visually interesting. And it's just very impressive to me because personally I like spend hours and hours and hours driving through nothing and just like looking for something that like no one has ever seen before because I'm just, I'm, I'm so, I I don't know. I have like this weird thing where I have to like suffer in order to find something cool. I don't know what it is. It's like some weird, (laughs) (laughs) I I can, I definitely can relate to that because like for a while I was shooting a lot of photos in my neighborhood and my, like I've shot a boatload of photos in my town, but um, like I always look at those photos and like, I'm biased. Like yeah. I don't want to show this photo because I know this place too well. Yeah. Um, and like I had this feeling that I have to go somewhere new that's similar to where I live. Like I'm looking for where I live, but somewhere else, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense to me. I think that if you can find that familiarity to it and if you can express that familiarity, visually as if it's someone that knows the area so well that they, that the photo feels as if it's through their eyes. I think that that is really impressive. And, um, I, I think that 
it would be a really good practice. It would be really good practice for me to go out and just shoot my environment that I'm in like that. And I think that in a weird way, it's poisoned me to the point where I'm like, I keep going further and further and finding more and more isolated things and more and more unique things that it's never good enough. And then I have to keep going and going before I can like feel like I can create something and I have to find something completely brand new. So it would be nice to take a step back and be like, oh, there's some, there's visual fascination just outside rather than being exactly. I have to travel to another County or another state. Yeah. Yeah. Like one thing, um, I've got, uh, a lot of, how do I word it? I spend a lot of time on Google Maps. So, yes. <laughs> um, like, I've kind of like uh, on um, my Mac's uh, preview, I have a screenshot of like the central Midwest, and I've kind of made like little dots of the towns and areas that I've already shot photos that I like in. Yeah. And I kind of look at where I haven't gone yet. And I see like this big pocket in north northwest Illinois, kind of by Davenport, Iowa. I'm like, I've shot zero photos there. Yeah. That's my next spot to go to. I'm just going to spend a weekend driving up and around in that area of Illinois into Iowa just because like I haven't shot there yet. So it kind of like adds this like almost fantasization. Mm-hmm. But um, I mentioned in a video that I made a while ago of a pro- the process that I like to use is giving myself a destination rather than giving myself something to shoot. So like I kind of, uh, I go into this, you know, hoping for the best, but I have zero expectations as to what I'm going to find. I might find like the next best photo I've ever shot. And I might come home with nothing. So yeah, uh, it's that kind of mentality going into it. Expect very little out of it. Totally. I do the same thing with finding locations. It really does come down to just going where you haven't been. And that's what's, I mean, I recently, I, run out. I've, I've, I've I've started, uh, using this like GPS coordinated app that traces the roads that I've gone down. So I can be like, okay, well I haven't gone down this road and it's gotten very, it's gotten very desperate, but I think that it's, um, that's a really good idea. And I think that's, that's good advice for any photographer who shoots, um, semi-documentary or even wants to location scout for their own work. If they have an idea, I think that it's always better to see things that you haven't seen before in order to really get in that mindset of kind of, uh, of being able to create spont like spontaneously. If you want to like develop your ability to create spontaneously, it's best to do so in an environment that is already visually new to you. Um, with, with, uh, thinking about location and how like you, you almost like ran out of ideas, um, thinking of, um, like where your photos are shot and all that and how, like, even though like you can kind of tell it's Pacific Northwest and depending on the project, of course, but like, uh, one consistent thing I've noticed with all of your work based on location is that there's often mountains in the background, mm. but they like they're just kind of there. They're not even <laughs> they're in consideration for the idea of the photo, but like the photo's not of the mountains. Yeah. Like is that uh I guess I, that's kind of like a I don't know how to word it. I guess it's like asking about the decision making behind that. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I think that um there really isn't a lot of decision making. I think it comes with the it, it comes with the environment that you're in. I never really saw the mountains as like this 
uh, unique thing because I had never been anywhere else. So I was just kind of like, this is ever, this is normal. This is like, what, how am I, I like, it, it's, it's just a part of the environment that I'm in. It's hard to find a place to shoot outside where there aren't mountains here. Um, and so that kind of drew me to a lot of fascination with places like the Midwest where I'm like, wow, I can't believe there's places where you can just see for miles and the roads don't like curve around and everything like that. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really, uh, mean to put mountains. I guess I, I, I guess I like will actively seek out things that look like matte paintings occasionally for like a few of my series that are meant to feel more like, um, cinematic moments. Like I'll be like, Oh, this is perfect because it's got this like sprawling painterly esque background, but I'm lucky because I am in an environment where that is, it's, it's rich for that. I don't really have to try, you know, I wish I could say that I'm like, like actively looking and like constantly like per- finding the perfect angle of these mountains, but it, it kind of does the work for me here, which I'm really thankful for. That, that kind of gets me thinking about like how, um, like I haven't seen a ton of this style of photography shot in the Pacific Northwest. Like almost always I see this kind of work done in either the Midwest, mm-hmm. Southwest, or, um, really that's, that's about it. It's usually either the Midwest or the Southwest. Um, so seeing like utilizing these different landscape tropes with it is really like really fascinating to see. Like uh, what I was telling you about earlier was like that seeing some photos like in this must be the place, for example, like there's there's photos of houses in here that look like a, a, a house that I know like five miles down the road from my house and I can shoot a very similar. But yours is a thousand miles away, but it looks like the same place. Yeah, I think that there's a familiarity that I really like to look for um, in in locations like that or in places like that. Because I think that even though the United, we live in such an intensely diverse uh, country, and I think that we have like it's just enormous. Like we have so much variety, and I think that being able to find familiarity, even though it's somewhere that's so vastly different. And I think that maybe that might be, I always appreciate when people mention that they're like, oh, this reminds me of something that I can't really quite pinpoint, or this feels like something that's so familiar. That is what I, that is like it, you know, for me, that is perfect. <laughs> Cause it's, it's what I actively seek out. I love this feeling of this, like we, some sort of like haunting, familiar, nostalgic experience in which you see something and you're just like, this is so like deja vu. It's this unexplainable feeling where you're like, this is so from like, I, I, I know this. Yeah. I've experienced this. I've been there even though you haven't. And I think that that's the unification of like the viewer is really cool to, to see. Yeah. Um, and like with your work and a lot of artists that have similar kind of philosophy with that is like, it's, it's challenging to get that, but when when you get that response, even if it's like not what you're necessarily expecting, just getting mm-hmm. that kind of response is like that's just such a refreshing moment. It is, yeah. I think that it's it's always nice to to hear people's personal stories too, people that put stories to it. I like to leave my work very open ended, and I don't like to uh explain it in any sense. Like, cause there really isn't a lot of meaning to it. I know a lot of artists will put in an artist statement later and things like that. And there is ultimately artist statements behind everything, 
like you just have to dig it out. But I think <laughs> it's, it's really important to, uh, just kind of, I mean, it's important to admit that you're shooting something just because you think it looks good and you think it's cool and you think it's weird or you think that, and it's like, Oh, I hope that other people think this looks weird and cool too. And like, and if they do, then it's like, that's, that's the, that's the best. That's the unification. And I like, I'm not actively looking for people to come. I'm like, Oh, I, I, I'm like not planting Easter eggs in these photos where I'm yeah, like, which is always fun oh, to I do, hope. but you know, yeah, exactly. It's fun to do. It's very fun to do, but I, I, I don't like, I'm not taking photos of these places being like, I wonder if people are going to know this is about the lies of childhood or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's not ever going to be, um, if you can find that later, I think that that's when we were talking about, um, kind of the editing process earlier. Um, I think that it's, it's really great to be able to, to draw a line through work that was never intended to, be consistent it was never meant to be like this family of work but you can find it later and you feel like that investigative experience is really cool and you're like i never even thought about that i didn't see the familiarities until now and that is a very it's very rewarding exactly yeah and what i love is uh that even if people don't want to admit it every photo starts off with an aesthetic attraction like every single photo you shoot starts off with i like the way that this looks Usually yeah. when that starts off, like you're not considering the concept. I mean, a lot, sometimes you are like, if you're like a Gregory Crudson style photographer, then of mm-hmm. course you're already considering the concept when you're making the image or even beforehand. But like more often than not, it's just, I think this looks cool. I'm going to shoot the photo. I'm going to put it on my hard drive and I'll see what I do with it later. Yeah. I, I, I think that when I first started photography or at least when I first started doing more, uh, I guess what you'd considered fine art photography. I don't know. (laughs) Um, And I I definitely thought I needed to plan things out a lot more. And um, I think my, the earliest work that is available currently on the internet of mine uh, is from my Western Gothic series. And I think that that is the most like planned out that is the most like storyboarded or what have you like illustrated beforehand. Uh, and even then it was just a vague idea. And if I found the right place for it and I was with the right person, then I was like, okay, I'll execute this now. Yeah, exactly. And it's gotten even more and more hands off. I've gotten even more like, as I've progressed, I've been like, it's, I've, I've been like obsessed with like having it be spur of the moment. So it does feel natural. So it does feel like it's something that you just stumbled upon and, um, it also like, doesn't help that I, my, my day job is I'm like a editor. I'm like a photo editor. Yeah. So I, I'm, I, the least amount of time I could spend like fine tuning an image, the better. Cause I do exactly. that every day anyway. You know, I'm like tired of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. Um, and kind of bouncing back to like kind of how people are reading photos and, um, kind of interpreting work and all that kind of gets me thinking about, um, what the art community is like up there in the Northwest of Amer- of the U S. Um, cause I'm in like a little art hub area being from Chicago area and like being not too far. I'm like perfectly between St. Louis and Chicago. So like I have two art mm-hmm. hubs at my disposal. So what's it yeah. like over there for you? Um, I don't really, I, 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 I'm not really a part of a art community in the Pacific Northwest. Um, when I was younger, I was on Flickr, 
And that was a, that was a really big early start in the art community. And I, there were these Flickr meetups, these like gatherings of people that, um, they would all like fly, everyone would fly to like one location. And I hosted one actually on my farm. And, uh, that was like the closest I came to having like a photo community or an art community. Um, and since then, I mean, like I've made most of my friends through that and that was the like kind of that early stages of kind of community and discussion and learning from one another, um, definitely influenced me a lot. But now I don't think that, I don't know. In the time period now, it doesn't. It's not really designed for community in the first place yeah. with the pandemic happening. But um, I do need to actively make more of an attempt to pursue that because I'm a very solitary uh, creative. I guess I don't think that I'm. I'm. I'm very bad at actively seeking out other creatives because I feel like I don't. I would, I would feel intrusive. I feel like if there's like a community of people, I don't want to be like, Hey guys, like I'm also a photographer. Like let's, yeah. let's hang out. And it's like, it just, uh, it, I, I'm, I'm, I guess that I feel like I'm a little bit shy when it comes to that kind of thing. And I really yeah. like, I feel like some of my, at least personally, I am the most creative when I am with a very small group. And I, uh, my, my best friends, I all know from the internet and like my partner, Natalie, like uh, we met through photography. We met because of Flickr. We met at a Flickr gathering, which is hilarious. (laughs) I love that. And, and so there is like this kind of the, the community that I'm in is like maybe like four to five people. Like, but I do, and I do envy people that live in places like Chicago because it seems as if there is like so much more of a diverse, uh, art group that are people doing multiple mediums and things like that. Um, Portland is surprisingly difficult to uh, navigate creatively. I think that it's, it's just small enough that it's, it, it, there's, there's not a ton of art community here. I don't know about Seattle either. I've been to Seattle once in my life. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and so I, maybe I should look up there for, for a, uh, a more of a experience meeting other people. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things like, uh, cause I'm since being straddling Chicago and St. Louis, like I spend more time in Chicago than I do St. Louis. Um, yeah. but, uh, like where I'm at between the two is it's very challenging to kind of develop an artistic voice here. Um, <laughs> just cause like the couple other photographers that I know, like in real life, like in central Illinois, um, do similar kind of work to what I do, but I can't see them very often cause they live over an hour away. Um, mm-hmm. so like I can go shooting with them on occasion or, um, you know, talk to them now and then, but more often than not, um, most of my friends are also like virtual, just like friends in Florida to New York to Texas and, um, Canada and all that. And it's like, just one thing that I do re- think is important for, I think most people kind of know this, but always good to kind of reiterate is that like you can't go it alone. Like having Mm -hmm. a small group of people, regardless of if it's in person or online, which is easier these days, uh, a small group of people to get input from, but also be a goofball with like having that duality of socializing, but also like doing artwork. 
Totally. I think that that is the important thing to take away from as you get older and as you develop your artistic voice. Um, it's okay to, for the kind of the, the flow, the flux of, of, uh, communities to like be a part of. I think that that's the thing as I was involved on like these on Flickr specifically, there were 50 people that came to my house from all over the country. Yeah. And it's like, it's just this huge group. And then we all know about each other still, but there's not this like kind of consistent, um, like we're not like sharing our work back and forth like we yeah. used to, you know, and that's natural. I think that that's the thing is that there's no way it's, it's not a, there's no longevity to kind of, uh, anticipating your work to be like developed with this huge body of people. You narrow yeah. it down and then, and then as you kind of narrow it down, you know, the people that you can kind of rely on to give you the honest opinions, you know, yeah. if the you're relying of- on them for that in the first place, that is, yeah. It's kind of the bringing two, two phrases at once. Uh, you get, you can't be friends with everyone, and you can't please everyone. Both at the same yeah. time is what it's like being an artist. Definitely, and I think it's hard, especially now because we're, you. It's it's so visible now. I think that that's what's really challenging. Is there's like a it's it's easy to see people who have these amazing communities or these connections that they can kind of used to further themselves in the art world and it's visible because of social media and you're just like, Oh my God, like I wish I had like this group of people that I could kind of network with and like we could all, you know, hold each other up through it. But it's, it's an, it's, it's not natural for everyone to have the same exact experience. You know, I don't think that everyone's going to, you just anticipate that you will because of the, you know, you're it's, it's so visible now. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Uh, it's kind of like um, you curate your uh, your TikTok feed, or you curate your uh, your Instagram <laughs> feed, or whatever. It's kind of the same thing with with all of it. You're kind of you're not only like being picky about like who you're showing your work to and all that, and really getting getting thoughts from, but it's also like just kind of knowing. I'm going to use the phrase knowing who you vibe with the most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that that's what I. Maybe that's what the that's where the shyness comes from, or like kind of the hesitation to like really push yourself into a community to speak to. I think that um, you, I'm like, oh god, I hope I is I hope that what people see of me from my work that I'm sharing is the same person that they're meeting now. I think that that's the thing is separating the two, and like you were saying, having friends that you that know you well enough to be able to like to like goof off with, but also like will seriously give you an honest opinion. That's really important. And it's not as common as a lot of people would think. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to kind of jump over to, um, to your work and I'm going kind of bottom to top from your website. Um, oh, okay. So, uh, I'm looking at, um, your project everywhere at the end of time, which mm. is like, I, I love pretty much all of your work, of course, but, um, this particular one, I, I really like this one for it's almost post-apocalyptic feeling, but yet it also still feels like it's right now in the 2020s. Like, like we're almost currently living in a post-apocalyptic <laughs> world. I, I kind of like the way that that all feels. Um, so like, what was your thoughts going into putting this piece together? 
Well, thank you for the kind words. Um, I have always been interested in abandoned stuff um, and like kind of decay and isolation. And this series started when I went to North Dakota in 2018, 2019, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. And I went there with a friend because a friend who's also interested in abandoned photography and things like that. And um, we just made a list of ghost towns that we wanted to visit. And we went to Saskatchewan in North Dakota. We flew there and not the ideal vacation destination for a lot of people, <laughs> but I loved it. It's one of my favorite places on earth. Yeah. And that's what kind of stemmed the uh, the documentation side of it. And that style specifically of shooting things as they are and kind of having like a hyper form of like realisticness, realis yeah. realism to the images is really important. And I think that earlier in my work, it was more about like, like, like uh, making these like painterly images that are, that, that it, it, it's hard to really tell whether what has been edited and what hasn't been. And I think that everywhere at the end of time is, was my first real attempt at documenting that kind of place um, with a sense of exploration only. That's the only element of it is it's like the, the value of it for me personally was that this is all real. These are things that I've found and it's like archeological, it's like archeological. I think that that's what I aim to do now in my more modern work is I, it's, it's more about documenting something that is true to what's happening. And I think that while it's no street photography or it's no like very modern take on it and there's no presence of actual people. I think that it's about what people leave behind. And I think that it's about, um, it's, there's so many more stories that you personally can make when it's just fragments left over. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's that constant mystery that everyone has about like historical time periods and that nostalgia what is so like uh, tangible about it is that it's something that's just familiar enough, but it still has that level of uncanniness that, I mean, that's what I think. That's why I think a lot of people are attracted to it. Like not just me, but I think a lot of people that photograph abandoned things or like old rotted cars or like just anything like, like that. It's a subject matter that is so out of time. It feels like it's just, it's, it's like frozen or something. Everyone is lately, it's been very common for people to, uh, talk about, uh, liminal spaces and, and things like that. Um, and instead of being like this limit, like, like here's a empty doctor's waiting room or something like that. Like that is, that is technically a liminal space, but it's even more true to that. I think when you go to a ghost town and you're like, what caused this? There's no explanation. You can't find an explanation on the internet. You can't like, you have to put it together yourself and you have to like, and in that all those stories that you're creating in your head, make it feel so much more personal in a way rather than it be like, Oh, this is like a, like a hotel pool with no one in it. That's weird. Right. And I was, and I, and I did that early on when my work that was like, looking for places like that, like uh, hotels or like empty streets. And it's very valuable work still like to when other people document that because it's cool. But I think that it's like, uh, me personally, when I wanted to seek that out, I wanted to find something that told like, a more open ended story. 
Yeah, I guess. exactly. And it's that desire to find something that's, you know, I'm just rambling at this point. But. No, you're, no, you're good. Um, one thing that uh, I'm just kind of like scrolling through the photos on your website. And one thing that's kind of interesting that I've noticed, I'm not sure if it was intentional or not, is uh, photos. Uh, there's a lot of photos that involve animals. But the thing mm-hmm. is, the only photos with animals that are living or like actually like literally alive are mm-hmm. ones of birds. All of the other animals are just depictions of them. Or mm-hmm. dead. So like, there's the um, the trophy deer head. There's the rotting cow. I think there's um, paintings of deer, paintings of cats, and all that. But the only the only living things are animals. And I like to think about that as how it relates to this idea of abandonment. Um, mm-hmm. And typically, a lot of things that just kind of are left to rot. You know, it's typically birds of prey and vultures and um, yeah. uh, scavengers will come in to the, to the, uh, to the scene and like kind of take care of the rest. Um, which I think is kind of interesting looking, looking through all these. I just kind of noticed that now, um, while you, while we were talking there, um, I don't, I don't know if that was intentional or not. I, you know, it's funny. I, it was, it was not intentional. I did not think that, but I think that that is true to what you were saying is that it's natural. I think that as things ultimately, if, that happened anywhere. It would be birds would be the only like real living thing. I mean, a lot of the abandoned houses that I went into, it was always filled with birds, especially in the Midwest. There's just birds everywhere. And, um, it's either that or, uh, I mean, birds are, yeah, birds are the first, I don't know. I think artistically people associate birds with a lot of different, you know, secondary meanings and things like that. But I think that comes from how human beings have seen birds as like, I mean like inaugural inaugural is like the, the, the spelling or not the, the study of birds to predict the future and things like that. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that's birds have always been just this weird thing for humans. It's like, because they're so, uh, different from us. I think that that's what's interesting too. But, um, in terms of like all the dead animals or depictions of animals in isolated places where there are a lot of abandoned things, um, the communities are usually either farming or hunting and their, their relationship with animals is very much, um, utilitarian. Mm -hmm. And while you can depict, um, like living livestock and things like that, it's, even more fascinating to see how even animals can become discard in these places. I was at when people leave, it's like, I've been in from personal experience. I've gone into barns with like dead cows in them and they've just like, Oof, these yeah. cows have, have starved to death and it's like very morbid and very, and I am, I am 100% like an animal lover. I'm not yeah. like this <laughs> creepy person who's like, Ooh, I'm going to go and like look for roadkill to photograph. <laughs> right. But it's, <laughs> It, it may come off that way. I don't know. But um, I, it, it's just a natural thing that, 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 that is there. And I mean, I grew up on a farm. And so my relationship with animals has always walked that fine line between this deep respect and love for them and the fact that we've commodified them. And they're like, I mean, I... Like I was talking about earlier, I raised pigs when I was in, since I was in fourth grade and every year I would raise a new pig that I would auction off and then sell to be slaughtered and butchered out. 
and and make some good ass bacon. Yeah, exactly. So for, <laughs> from an early early age, I think that I became a little bit more, uh, less sensitive to that kind of thing and understood it for what it was. And I think it's just I think that it's honest to to show it in a weird way. Like I'll only show it if it's really unique. I'm not going to like show it just for the sake of gratuity and gore. I'm going to show it because it's like there's this dead cow buried underneath all of this hay and that's how they got rid of it. It's just this right. rotting cow and this is on the side of the road visible for everyone and I don't know. Yeah. It's just that kind of phenomenon is very weird and it's worth documenting at least in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Um, kind of moving over to this must be the place, which is a really peculiar one to me. Um, cause there's, there's some photos and you were talking, uh, before we started recording, you we were talking about, um, kind of going for like this almost painterly like look, um, even, even today and all that, uh, that these are, these, these are all photos that were shot in the Pacific Northwest, right? Uh, no, actually there's, oh. I think. There's a lot of them in upstate New York, and there's Ooh. a lot of them in the Midwest, in like North Dakota. I guess North Dakota is considered Midwest. Uh, it's like halfway like there, yeah. The edge half of, the of Midwest, it is half of it is, I guess. Uh, and like a lot is in Montana, um, hmm. but uh, a majority of them, I guess, I would say a majority of them. Actually, I don't even know. You know, like, <laughs> I, I I think a majority of them though are in the Pacific Northwest, just that's because that's where you know I'm based, but. Um, most of the abandoned stuff that I can find that's unique that aren't just like, you know, rotting buildings, they're in places that are sprawling. And I think that that kind of, you need to go somewhere like, uh, Wyoming or Idaho or Montana, like somewhere in the Rockies in order to find something that at least stands out as like a painterly thing. But a lot of them are in the Pacific Northwest. It's just harder to photograph them here because plant life grows over them so rapidly yeah, yeah. That they don't they don't stand out as much. <laughs> yeah. It depend I guess uh depending on the situation it can actually help the photo. Uh but what I've noticed through um through this series is that um it's dominantly photos of houses and churches and in my notes I put uh homes of God. So it's like it's basically photos of houses entirely even mm-hmm. of a church and all that. Um, yeah, which is really interesting to look at because there's always these ones that have like I'm looking at one right now that has this it's like a foggy background, but the the house building, whatever it is, it almost looks like like a like a shop of some sort um, is in the foreground in focus. But then right behind it is this almost ominous cell tower. Mm, like, yes, I know I, I've never about. seen a creepy photo of a cell tower before. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing I think with. With documenting abandoned things, it's always, for me, I would always want to document a house or a church because those are things that are just, they're either usually the last thing standing. Like if a, if you yeah. go to an abandoned town, the store, like more often than not, the bars and the stores and the hotels have almost always burnt down. I don't know what was going on back in the 30s and 20s or whatever, <laughs> but there's like always a story about like this crazy fire where like the main street was completely burnt down. So all that's left are like all these neighborhood areas. And I think that it's just deeply personal. And I think that also people maintain churches and that's another reason why they're so common in terms of abandoned structures. Um, Who would tear down a church for one thing in these isolated areas. And 
I think that there's so much more story within those places too. I'm lucky that it's, it's not like, I feel like it's, I'm lucky that the places that are so personal are the ones that are the last standing too. Yeah. And that's, that's the benefit of that. Yeah. It's this odd sense of comfort and uneasiness at the same time. Like, you know, whenever you see a photo of a house, you know, most, I feel like most people that view photos of houses place themselves in that house or in some, some kind of relation to that house because yeah. it's this iconic idea of home. Yeah. I think that I, I remember reading something about, um, the, how the historic structures in Japan are viewed and how like the gold pavilion in Kyoto, when you're getting a tour of it, they say it's the original building. Like this is the original building, but it burnt down multiple times technically. Yeah, that's right. And it's, and but it's, but it was rebuilt like multiple times, but it's still the same building. It's yeah, always it's, the same building. And I think that, that idea, it, it it takes away that like, it's, it's not about the, it's not about the actual like contents of the building. It's still the building. It's still, it's still like this living thing kind of, you know, and that's what's, there's, there's a lot of media that revolves around houses being alive and houses being, cause they're reflections of us. They are. I think that like what your, your environment that you're in are, is so dependent on that, that it's, you can come up with a million different stories about what happened there. And technically they're all true <laughs> in, in a weird <laughs> exactly. way. I think for all, you know, I mean, how many people have lived in every house? You, like, that's the right? mystery to it that I think not every constantly. house has like the documentation of everyone that's lived there. Like some yeah, houses yeah. do, but not all do. Especially, especially the more isolated ones. And like the ones further West, the ones like that are just like pioneer shacks basically. Right. Yeah. It's like how, how, when was the last time someone lived in this? Like there's only a few houses that I know of. One of them, that recently burnt down has an actual, it was a very famous house in Oregon here that people love to photograph called the Charles Nelson house. Yeah. And there was an article about this woman who lived there as a child and like her grandpa lived there or owned the house or something. And she was super old and she went back there one last time. And there's like photos of her like standing there in this house. And this is like, I think that there's probably a few articles like that in other places too, where it's like, people that used to live in this like iconic abandoned house going back to it and like pointing around and being like, there used to be a bathtub there or like something. Like oh that. yeah. Yeah. Something, you know, something that seems very like kind of meaningless. And it, it's so much more, uh, important and it seems so much more heavy when it's like, look how old this person is. And they yeah. lived here like when they were a baby and it's still, I, I don't know that, it's, it's the same thing why people are so obsessed with history. It's just so fascinating to like connect the dots on that. And like the little information that you do have, if you can do that, you feel like you're like a detective or something. Right. Like I remember going through a few photos in one of the houses and like finding, uh, I found this one, um, lodge actually in Southern Oregon near my hometown and all of the stuff was still in it. And I was going through <laughs> all the documentation and stuff uh, which sounds kind of creepy, but I mean, it was abandoned. Uh, and it's this guy that lived there who hosted these things called like the fairy gatherings, like the Fay and stuff like that in the eighties. And they were this, it was this like uh LGBT like 
grouping of people that got together, like flew in and in all places, Southern Oregon, like isolated Southern Oregon. And they, uh, had like these like gatherings every year. And as I kept digging, I found out that he, uh, eventually died of complications of AIDS back in the nineties. And it's this like tragic story. It's like extremely sad. And, but I feel like it's important to know about. I think that it felt very like, uh, it felt strange because how many other people know the story? Right. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things like how many other people even know that this is like all still here and do, does anyone still care? That happens a lot too. Like I'll go into a place and there's like all these family photos and I'm like, this is like, it feels I never take anything unless it's something that's just, you know, like I never take anything personal. Yeah. And that's cause like you never know if they're going to come back. They exactly, usually yeah. don't, they almost never do, but it's still one of those things where it's like, wow, th- I can't believe that someone left behind like these old, old like tin types and stuff like that. Exactly. That is yeah. a strange feeling. Which kind of gets me wondering. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people, you kind of already said earlier that, um, uh, that lots of people probably wonder how you find the things that you that you photograph, and I know that you like to keep some of that some of that kind of secret for the safety of the place. But how how is it that you come across all these all, all these different locations? Um, kind of just like the same <laughs> the same way that you were describing. Like I just spent a lot of time on Google Maps, and I'll make like a vague I'll make like a vague road trip plan, and I'll look for ghost towns. I'll look for places that, you know, it's funny. There's a lot of people on the internet that like this kind of stuff, but the only people that really document it accurately are usually like super old men. <laughs> like, yeah. So it's like these like communities of like, uh, these like old dudes who are like either into trains or something or like yeah. old houses. And I'm thankful for them because without them, I wouldn't be able to find a lot of these places. But, um, I just look for a vicinity and you can kind of at, at a certain point it becomes second nature where you can kind of tell. And that's the thing is like a lot of the places I'll be in, I'll be like, this is, I got to keep looking. Cause I know there's, I know there's abandoned stuff. I know there's a house that is like, I, and you can tell like whether a house is worth going into or not. Like whether you're going to risk trespassing for getting a shot of the inside and more often than not in the Midwest or the North Dakota area, I know in the Midwest too, based on like what my friends have told me places like Gary, Indiana, or, um, yeah, just like Illinois, even that most of the time there are houses with everything still in it because the people that live there just died and no one got their stuff. Oh yeah, exactly. And that's really interesting. Like it's, those are the most valuable worth going into because of the documentation that you can get. It's so true to what it was. And then out here in the, like the West coast, it's uh property is so much more, it changes hands so quickly. Cause it's just the value is it just fluctuates rapidly. Yeah. And so a lot of the stuff gets torn down or gets burned down because it's just like waste of space in a lot of people's minds. But I think it's like, really important to at least document it, you know, before it's gone. I, it's, there's less and less every time I go out, there's less and less. I've seen so many houses vanish because they're just either, I mean, it, most of the time people are worried about people going into them and getting hurt. Yeah. But yeah, it's like safety hazard at that point. Yeah. Which I, I get, I totally understand that. It's, it, you definitely want one, like some teenagers like falling through the floorboards and dying or something. Right. 
but I still think it's always a bummer to go somewhere and be like, oh, I like really wish I like got to photograph this before it was gone. Right. It's bittersweet. At least there's more like safe teenagers out there. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So while you're out and you're kind of like doing like your live research and just in general research and like finding your places, like how do you uh, make your decisions as to what you decide to, you know, put a frame around what you decide to make a photograph of? That's one of the hardest things that I think um, that's the hardest process, at least for me is to kind of go through and, it doesn't come very naturally to see what is worthwhile and what isn't in these places. Cause there's just, you, you, where you go has so much, it's like so rich with everything. It's, it's especially these ghost towns where there's more like, like dozens of houses that are all abandoned. Which ones do you choose? Which ones are worthwhile? Mm-hmm. Which ones are composed the way that I want them to be? Whatever. Um, I guess I go through it and I think the I find the linear quality of a story Um, I find things that line up. I find things that are like kind of symmetrical. Um, I don't know if it's noticeable, but but I, I do try to have like some sort of vague path through the work where you feel as if there is a story within it. Yeah. And I think that that's, what's important to me is how do I arrange this in a way that isn't like just based on sentimentality? How do I arrange it in a way that allows other people to develop their own stories as well. I don't know if that answers your question or no, not. No, no, yeah, you're it's good. Just, um, but yeah, that's that's something that uh, I, I kind of battle with myself with while I'm out and about. Um, there was um, a recent trip that I did that I went over to East Indiana, um, mm-hmm. or West Indiana, the other one. Uh, and there's this little... Uh, old hotel that uh i found on google maps and i was like this this is what i want to photograph um Mm -hmm. so i i drove over there i I shot some photos in some small towns on the way um made a youtube video about this whole thing and um when i got to it was attica indiana which is like right in the middle of the west border of indiana so it's like smack just due east from me um but when I was driving around and I, I parked my car right by the by the hotel, I got my camera out, took took a couple pictures of it, but I realized that the the hotel was being torn down, which is very sad. So I'm glad I got the photo when I did. Oh um, yeah. But as I'm driving around, I, I go kind of to the edge of town, kind of by a grain elevator, and there's this like mobile home neighborhood. Um, and mm-hmm. there was one other photo I shot in that town of those mobile homes. But the entire time I'm driving around, like it's kind of hilly. There's this river that goes right through town. Like it's a really visually cool town. It's not very big. It's yeah. like maybe 6,000 people at most. But, uh, the entire time I'm like, why am I not taking pictures of anything? And then right as I'm about to leave and get back on the interstate, I see those mobile homes and like, this is one. And yeah. <laughs> that, that whole decision-making process, sometimes you just know. And sometimes it's, it takes a little bit of feeling out. Definitely. I, I, I totally know what you're saying. Um, it it is frustrating because I will get in the same mindset where I'm somewhere and I'm like, this is so cool in real life, but it doesn't translate. It won't translate. And I can't find a way for at least me personally to make it translate. Um, but when you're in an environment that is so new to you like that, but you have, but so like in this town with the hotel that was being torn down, yeah. this is the same town that you shot the mobile homes in. Yeah. Yeah. So like, do you, you do you might do, not even be able to guess you, it? Yeah. So do you think that the mobile homes were 
do you think that that was a more worthwhile experience because of that? Like you went somewhere with the intention, with the intention of photographing like this one subject, but you found something even better along the way. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, like of those two photos, I absolutely think the, the mobile home photo works better than the hotel one. Like I love the hotel one, but the Mm -hmm. mobile home one is just, that's the better photo. That is the hard balance that I think it's it, you, finding, finding the, like the, like I went all the way out of my way to go and photograph this one thing. You know, I went all the way here for this one specific thing, but what I found along the way was like even more valuable weighing that and like coming, <laughs> like, I guess somewhat coming to terms with that for yourself is, is a challenge, especially if you go really far for it. Exactly. You go really far out of your way. Yeah. This was thankfully only about an hour and a half. So it wasn't like a terribly long journey, but you know, that's still gas. That's still film and all (laughs) that. So it's, it's kind of knowing, you know, not only was the decision-making process based on like the idea and how, how it looks and all that, but also comes down to money and travel too. (laughs) Totally. And I think that, I mean, I can't relate to this as much as probably you can, but I think that it is not as a forgiving climate where you shoot most of your photos. It seems as if if you're going to go somewhere, it's a lot harder to get there in the first place because in the wintertime at least, oh yeah, it, it seems just crazy how intense the winters get in a lot of these places and a lot of your photographs – like I, I don't even know how to drive in snow. <laughs> oh yeah, like, I'm like horrified every time people, I'm in. It, like, people rarely... in the Midwest also don't know how to drive in the snow. <laughs> no one knows. Yeah, but everyone's just guessing constantly. They're Basically. all just like making their best effort. But and it's yeah, always the I, guys in the in the Ford Raptors that are going 80 on the interstate when it's still snowing, just flying past oh you. It's like, dude, you're gonna <laughs> cause an accident. Yeah, that is a. Uh, I'm looking through your work now and it and it does seem to be like these towns are all so rich with story potential. I think that's the thing is that a lot of the time it's, I, I've kind of cursed myself in the fact that like I photograph almost exclusively empty places because now it's, it's like, there's so much more of like a personal experience to go to a town where it's like you're voc- photographing like a house that someone actually still lives in. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's, it, it seems like it's like, uh, I, I, you, you can, you can have more variety in that, you know, I think there's a lot more variety in natural, naturally occurring human behavior rather than like going somewhere and being like, well, this is what I've got. Like, I can't like fake any more of this, you know? <laughs> that's where I think with, um, that's why I kind of go back and forth with like photos of cars and all that. I'm just like. I like the idea of the of like portraits of people with their vehicles. Um, yeah, I think yeah. that tells a better story than just a nice picture of uh of like I have this photo of a nineteen sixty seven Corvette Stingray. Like it's a I love that car. It's it's a mm-hmm. beautiful vehicle, and I love the photo that I shot of it. The owner came up. He saw me and my friend taking pictures. He was really cool about it. He was joking about it. Um, he said like, you know, I charge for pictures. Um, it it was kind of fun. Um, and because we were already kind of like on a good, good vibe kind of start, I asked him if I could take a portrait of him with the car. Cause I would have much rather had that than just the yeah. simple picture of the car itself. Um, but unfortunately it didn't work out because of timing. Like he had, he had, a he had things to do places to see places to be. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but like just thinking back, it's like, 
um, thinking about how I make my decisions. And then that's why I think it's always valuable to hear how other people make their decisions on the, on what they photograph to, to know how it can influence my decision-making and others as well. It's, it's a, it's a very arduous process. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I rarely photograph strangers and I think that when I do, it's always very removed. I very rarely am like going up to somebody and being like, can I photograph you? Cause it's yeah. like, I cannot, it's so challenging. That's such a challenge. And it's, people are it's always hard. so taken aback by it. I think that's one of the benefits, at least of like shooting on film is that people, I mean, it doesn't take a, it doesn't take a photographer to know that it's like, to know that film is more of a commodity it's harder to come by. And I think that when people are approached and you are like, can I photograph you? If it's on a digital camera, they're like, oh, well, are you like some sort of pervert? But like if you <laughs> yeah. shoot it on film, it's like, oh, this is art. This is going to, this has to be for some sort of like art form. And I think that they take it a lot more seriously. And I think that um, a lot of the time that's been a benefit for me, at least back when I still shot film more frequently, whenever I was like, caught in an abandoned place or the few times that I was and I had my film camera, they were like, Oh, he's just some, one of those weird art kids. <laughs> like, he's <laughs> not destroying that. his place, you know, but it's, it definitely people draw their own connections to you too. I think that's one of the hardest things is finding yourself and uh, like being perceived as a person within the work is really hard. Yeah. For me, at least personally, I think that it's, I wish I could be completely invisible while taking photos. Exactly. I yeah. don't want to be this entity. I don't want to be seen for safety reasons, <laughs> but you know, also yeah. just for like this, it's, it's a challenge to, for, for, for you to be in that mindset of being able to be creative while also like presenting yourself as a, another human being. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've been better at photographing strangers. Especially, you know, having been a photojournalist made it a hell of a lot easier um, sure. interacting <laughs> with strangers. So that, that's one really positive um, thing I took away from that job. Um, so, like, of course, lately I haven't really been able to go out and photograph strangers because of obvious reasons. But oh, yeah. um, you know, like as as things work themselves out. Um, I'll be able to actually go back on route 66 and, you know, knock on someone's door with my RB six, seven on a tripod and ask, <laughs> Hey, can I take a picture of you? And maybe if you want, you know, take a picture of you in your home or something like that, make it more interesting and contribute to yeah. the story in a different way than what I have been doing of just straight pictures of buildings and such on route 66. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that being able to do stuff like that was, taken for granted <laughs> yeah. up until now. I think looking exactly. back on it, it's like, wow, I can't believe we used to be able to just photograph anyone. <laughs> right. And it's like, you know, uh, that's kind of what my, my, my tell you was uh, last March. I was like, you know, okay, once, once summer comes around, I'm going to start going on route 66 more and I'm going to, you know, ask people to take pictures of them. And then pandemic hits. It's like, yeah, yeah. the world just said, fuck your idea. <laughs> <laughs> I know it benefited. You see, that's the, that's the funny thing is that it ended up actually benefiting at least my style. Cause I'm obviously socially distant every time I go out and take photos for most of my work, but I do miss that, like going into a thrift store or going into a small town bar and like immersing yourself within this environment 
and like just like seeing people act naturally it you feel you feel very much like uh it, it, it satisfies that strange voyeuristic quality that I think that a lot of photographers have, if not all photographers, because it, it, it gives you that ability to feel like a spy or something. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> what it is. It's, it's so hard to explain. I know that Vivian Mayer always said that when people asked her what she did, she was like, I'm sort of a spy. And that is oh, always yeah. like completely resonated with me because it's, even though she had her own, you know, personal problems, yeah. And, and things like that, that could be potentially critiqued. Um, I think that it, she made a really good point. Like even if she didn't see herself as like a fine art photographer or a street photographer, she did not see herself that way at all. She was documenting for the sake of documenting. And I think that that is the honesty. I think there's a level of honesty in that where you're like, I feel like I'm kind of like a spy or I feel like I'm kind of an archeologist. I'm telling a story and I think that just the medium in which I'm doing it happens to be photography. When we were talking before, you were mentioning how Western Gothic is like your first like planned out, like really like like frame by frame kind of planning out kind of thing. Um, and even before I knew that, it kind of felt very much like a narrative and like a narrative photo series to the truest extent. So what was kind of your process with uh, Western Gothic? It's the first, it's the landing page for your website. So it's, it's clearly, clear. this is the project that you know is worth looking at the most. Yeah, that's the, that's the project that has, was over many years since the beginning of my photography. Um, it just happened to kind of congregate into that body of work. I have a lot of other work that is unreleased that is like that. And I started like doing more portraiture, portraiture photography um, doing a 365 project, which is where every day of the year, you know, I took a photo. Most of the time it was a self-portrait. Yeah. And that was a process in which I learned, well, the very basics. <laughs> it was not something I'm proud of looking back on it, but um, I learned the very basics of what it meant to kind of tell a story with a subject in the photo. And I learned that because it was me doing it, you know, yeah, I would yeah. obviously prefer never to be in front of the camera, but a lot of the time it's, I'm either by myself in these places or I find that potentially I could tell the story the best. I don't know. You have to exactly, be like yeah. an actor in it in a weird way. Like you kind of have to, like swallow that aspect of pride in yourself where you're like, I'm this anonymous artist and you have oh, to yeah, kind of, exactly. you know, present yourself in a very controlled way. And I think that in a lot of this, so a lot of the early work of Western Gothic, I was in it. It was me um, as anonymously as possible, yeah. as far away from the camera as possible. Just this like human figure to add scale and story to the environment. Um, and then it developed into something that was a bit more like, uh, like, like cinematic, um, as my work progressed, it became more related to, uh, I just, I just started to find stories more naturally rather than like pressure them into an environment mm -hmm. where I'm like, Oh, this is a cool place. Like, let me come up with something rather than like, and I guess through self portraiture, that was the real help was that it was like, I'm literally experiencing this myself documenting it 
photographing myself, you know, I can tell the story or I can make a very vague story. You know, admittedly, they're all the stories are very vague. <laughs> they're yeah, not like, exactly. It's not a statement. I'm not making a statement. You know, it's just like this looks cool and it looks cool because there's a person in it or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I love what's going on in all these because they they all feel very related to each other. Um, those with people, those without. Um, but the thing is, despite that, they're they all feel very related to each other. They also feel very distinct among themselves. Like you could present any one of these photos as an individual piece. Like if, if you were in a curated gallery with like five other artists, you could choose any of these photos and people won't necessarily know it's from the same series because uh, they contribute to the series, but they also stand on their own. And I think that's for this style of uh, series I think is a re- not only is it challenging but it's also it when it's done really well it, it it's just fantastic seeing how it all meshes together well thank you I appreciate that that's um yeah that's that's kind of that was the 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 point of the that set was it's like I was this is the, such an early stage in my career of photography that I didn't know how to make sets really well I didn't know how to edit together like a continuity. Um, and I've, as I've gotten more experienced at that, it, there, there comes things like everywhere at the end of time, but with this specifically, it was literally just images that were made one off and they just happened to all have like one theme. And that theme was like just my style of photography, I guess. Yeah. So in a weird way, this one probably has the least amount of actual story to it, <laughs> even though, <laughs> Oddly enough. The, you know, but, um, it's it's nice to use this is this is the stuff that I try to use to represent um kind of an all-in-one thing at least thinking about um like the the formal standpoint of these photos and pretty much all of your work too um is how you've managed to found a balance between bright rich color and very muted overcast color like having that kind of duality is uh, seeing that you do it really well in a lot of this work, um, is is that really just kind of like an editing process kind of thing, or is it just kind of something that you just kind of felt out over time? You know, it's it's not necessarily an editing process. I think that um, a lot of my early work, I avoided sunlight. I avoided like a lot of bright light because it didn't immediately read as like, oh, this is like subtle and ominous or something. Yeah, yeah. But then as I went on, I realized that I'm making these long trips. And if I happen to come across like a place that's sunny, I'm not going to like just not shoot, you know, it was out of necessity a lot of the time. But then I started to, I mean, I really started to appreciate it. Now I almost kind of prefer like a little bit of sunlight in my work in a weird way. I, I think that it's, if I shoot something that's almost too flat, I'm like, okay, well this is kind of boring now. It doesn't add that kind of you know, alternation between multiple different things. It's harder to photograph in sunlight for me, at least personally, but I still value what I can get out of that variation. And I've started, I've started shooting with a flash inside of abandoned houses. Yeah. I've noticed that in a few. Yeah. And that's been immensely beneficial because you get it as if it's like how with the lights on basically. Yeah. A lot of the time when you go into abandoned places and you photograph without a flash, it has that like ominous, creepy quality because of the lighting scenario and because of like everything has that rotted, muted color to it. Mm -hmm. But when you use the flash, I think that you're presenting something. 
as true as it is in that environment. I think that it's like a, it's like a presentation. It's like, this is it. There's no, uh, embellishments. There's no, um, trick of anything. It's, I, I like kind of that starkness and that, uh, honesty to a lot of the places. Cause a lot of the places are pretty fucking disgusting. And I think oh, yeah. that if you can photo, you know, if you can photograph that as true to it as possible, you're getting like kind of the most value out of it, at least for me. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's some, I, I've been wanting to shoot more interiors for one myself. Like, uh, one of my goals this year is to shoot more interior photos. Um, cause I have like five, just five <laughs> photos I've shot inside of a building. That was the same for me. Honestly, that was, it is really, really hard. Interiors are really hard to photograph and yeah. I'm still not very good at it. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those things where I just need to like go into, into downtown Bloomington and go inside, you know, have my camera on a tripod and do that same thing. Just ask the owner, Hey, can I take a picture in here? And then if they yeah. ask like, yeah, sure. What's it for? A uh, quick tip for everybody. If you're young enough, uh, always pull the photo student card. Always tell them you're oh, a photo student, even if you're not, because oh, yes. they don't care. <laughs> that is that is probably one of the best tips ever. Honestly, I finding excuses, like having the perfect like uh, scripted excuse to like take a photograph, rather than just being like, "I think it looks cool." Yeah, it's it's very it's very important. Like uh, that has gotten me out of a lot is saying that I'm a photo student. Exactly. Yeah. I've never, I've never been a photo student, but it helps a lot with strangers as well. Like the, the few photographs of strangers that I've done, it was actually not oh, long yeah. after I graduated. Um, but I like to see it as I'm not lying because I'm always a student in photography, even if it's exactly not formally. <laughs> I was so, just about to yeah. say, I guess I am, I have been a photo student my entire life. It's very, very deep. <laughs> Right. But that is a, that is a great, uh, a great way to like kind of ease any sort of interaction that you have to have with someone is just kind of explain to them. I mean, not everyone will be, I think that that's, what's really frustrating for me, like photographing, um, people's environments because I like to go to places where, um, the question comes up never by any, never, no one's ever asked me this, but I personally ask myself this if I'm like, if I'm doing some form of like poverty tourism or things like that, where I'm like, like using this, like using this setting of like kind of suffering in a way to further my career artistically. But yeah, I think that it's what I, it's what I know. I think that that's the thing is that I photograph this because it's what I know. And I think it's where I kind of came from in a weird way. Yeah. But I also think that that's the really fine line that I'm very careful with is that it's always when you're photo, especially when you're photographing strangers, I feel so, it, I feel like this immense guilt if someone sees me taking a photograph of their house or something, I'm like, I don't want them to think that I'm like mocking them. I don't want them to think that I'm like exploiting them or using them or anything like that. It is like, it like hurts me to think that I'm like, it is I want them to know how cool I think it is. I want them to know how interested I am in this place. And like, and that's a really hard thing to translate across. So if you just say that you're a photo student, that tells the whole story without you like bumbling over your words being like, I think it looks cool and right? I like it. And it's like, and they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like if you're just like, I'm doing this because I am looking for the artistic value in something. 
Yeah. People and a lot of times that. if they do get, a lot of times if you say that, that you're a student or whatever, um, they might ask you some questions as to why it is you're taking a picture of this, that, or the other. And then you can kind of go into just kind of like layman's terms of, you know, I'm interested in this idea of decaying America and stuff like that um, or yeah. whatever. And uh, kind of give them just like the, the cliff notes version of what you've been working on. Or just kind of like totally. a brief bio, like, yeah, I just do photographs of this, that, and the other. And uh, more often than not, they might find it interesting. Sometimes they might just think, man, you're just one of those weird art kids, aren't you? And then just walk away. <laughs> yeah, that has been the, uh, at least, that, that that is a beneficial way to get more story, too. I think that you can get a lot more story out of people if you give them what they want in a weird way. I think that with at least a lot of the people that I've come across, they've just been like old farmers or old people that like live in the area. And I don't think that there's anything that older people in rural areas like more than teaching young people about their environment that they exactly. Are uh, if, if you make and it I think about that you, them, that's when yes. you're in and hell take a portrait of them if you want. <laughs> exactly. If you can, if you can like, make yourself a presentable and approachable enough. That's what I think my, I, that's at least what I do is I try to be as uh, unoffensive as possible and as neutral looking as possible and to blend in completely. I try to like, like socially camouflage myself <laughs> in a weird way. It's and a I remember way I went it. to like Montana this past summer to like live in my car for a little bit, like photographing my new series and Every time someone was like, where are you from? Which was surprisingly a lot. I encountered a lot of people <laughs> this yeah. uh, this summer safely, socially distant. Yeah. But um, they're like, where are you from? And uh, me and my girlfriend would always be like, Portland. And they're like, right, this summer, Portland had a bit of a reputation in oh, that's right. Yeah. Rural areas. Well, yeah. And they were all like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I see why you came out here to escape all of that. And it's like, <laughs> And it's, you just kind of look at them and you're like, oh yeah, okay. Sure, like, yeah. <laughs> obviously, like, I, I don't know how to break it to you that there it's not what you think it is, but you become, <laughs> to, you, you start to realize the more and more you like go back and forth between these places. I mean, Oregon is a good example of it because Portland is this like very unique place surrounded by a lot of very rural, extremely conservative places as well. So you have that juxtaposition of two different like groups of people who have been fed just the like propaganda about each other. And so whenever you like see those two merge together, it's really fascinating. And that kind of is what spurred my last series that I did. And that's like, (laughs) and was that, was that, um, American poetry or is this one that, uh, is still in the works? That's, that's American poetry. I think that, that one has been the most uh, specific to a time period my work has ever been. Oh, uh, yeah. Because, like, looking at um, how American poetry um, compares to uh, Western Gothic, this must be the place and everywhere, um, that it, like, stylistically, from, like, an aesthetic standpoint, there's a lot of similarities. Um, but, I mean, there's this focus on signs in American poetry, which I think is really interesting. Was that kind of your, was that your idea going in or did you just kind of start to notice that and then realize that this was worth pursuing? Well, the thing is, is that when I was photographing all of these other locations for like, this must be the place or everywhere at the end of time, I think 
that as I journeyed through like wherever the hell I was isolated area, I would be seeing these signs. They would become more and more prevalent. And so American poetry didn't start out as that idea. It didn't start out as like, I'm going to make a series about signs. These just happened to like start because I kept seeing these reoccurring signs. I would photograph them just one off. That's kind of a tip for anyone is that you don't need to have a series idea at the beginning. You can just photograph and then find the continuity later. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, everyone probably knows that, but you know, I think that that was kind of a, for me at least, that was a very eye opening experience to be like, oh, wow, I have like a full series, like almost done, and I didn't even know it. But over the past like five years, like right around the time that um, the election was happening, the first election, the, the, the Trump administration, um, the Hillary Clinton Trump thing. That one thing that happened, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> that was kind of the the beginning point of it. And I kind of unknowingly was documenting that like fervor that was building. There was this pressure that was happening in the United States that was really starting to become more fervent and visu- visible. Um, and I think that with the signs specifically, there is nothing that people love more than to make their voices heard in our country, I think. And that's, that's been the most fascinating thing to me. Like for this, for this process, it feels so, it feels like someone's talking to you. It feels like someone is actually like speaking directly to you. And not all of the signs are political. Almost none of them are political, but they have this air of urgency about them that continued to get more and more aggressive the further we went into this kind of, you know, uh, political climate. And I think that that was the, um, the, I, I, I knew that I had to get it out and have it done by the election. Exactly. I had, yeah. I, like, the I, timing I was, like, was really good. Thank you. I like, that was completely not my, not planned. I like yeah. did not think like, I was not like calculating like, Oh my God. Okay. I'm going to only document it for this period of time. But I was, basically nearing the end. And then I realized it was like, Oh, well this is like the perfect encapsulation of this kind of era of our country. It's kind of, I mean, this it's been, it's been unprecedented obviously, but now is better than never, I guess to document. Yeah. I, I still find signs. That's what's the, that's the funny thing is that I didn't know when to stop. That was, Oh yeah. Yeah. You could just keep you, on going. You, yeah, you just keep finding and they keep getting better and better and there's more and more just kind of uh I don't want to say like um crazy but there's a lot more of a unique outlook on life that's happening uh as you go further into the uh middle of nowhere. Exactly, yeah. What uh what I've loved about how other photographers that have encountered the same kind of issue of not knowing when or where to stop, um, is that they've actually made like multiple volumes, like second iterations, and like it'll be like episode one, I guess, and it's like <laughs> episode two is like uh, it's essentially the same idea, but like there's been some progression in it, and it's maybe approaching that same idea in a slightly different way, but they're directly connected to each other. Um, yeah. Uh, that makes a, sense. I, I forget his name, but he made the book series um, Good Morning America. And there's, I think, th- two or three volumes of this book, Good Morning America. And 
his name is escaping me. Um, I can find it. I can find it later. But um, like the first one sold out, and the second one sold out. And I think there's a third one now. But they're they're all approaching that same idea of uh, political and contemporary space in America. Yeah, that's that is that is a good idea, really. To to if you have something that is. It's like a perpetual motion machine. It's it's gonna always be. I mean, especially something like the political climate in America. It is the subject that will never, ever be. You'll never ha- lack for content <laughs> with that. I think that that's what's really important. Is There's that, always something new. Exactly, and with with like American poetry, I knew that it needed to wrap up because I was just like obsessing over it. Oh yeah. That that's probably a very common thing is that people just start to like complete this. I mean, this is my first book and I'm just like horrified at like the, I self published as well. So I had completely myself to rely on. Yeah. And, and that was kind of the scariest part is that I don't have a lot of confidence in myself as an artist. I think that I have confidence in knowing how to, I know how to express what I want and I know what I want. I think that that's the thing. That's the difference. There's a difference between knowing what you want and knowing that you're like this refined artist. Exactly. Yeah. It's a very Which big No difference. one really I, is. Yes, exactly. And I think that it's those things that you're like actively aiming towards. You're like, okay, well I'm going to do this because it's going to develop me more creatively. But in that I've only learned like, I know how to circumnavigate my own shortcomings as an artist. That's what it is. Which is really is, important to know. Yeah. And I mean, after the book, I was kind of at a loss for, I mean, now it's post book, I guess I'm at a point creatively where I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I really have yeah, no yeah. idea. That's I'm, I'm, I'm expecting that after I published Dune, like I, yeah, I just know I can like kind of feel it coming. Like I'm working on re-editing the photos and um, finalizing the edit and looking for publishers if possible. And yeah. I'm just like preparing myself for that. What now feeling? It's a strange feeling. Definitely. I, I mean, you seem to have a very, um, really, really well planned out book. It seems as if you have done all the steps that you need to be doing and, that kind of falls into place naturally, which is really nice. And I think that that might ease the uh, melancholy that will happen afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I, I think just randomly cycling, like I was through these like processes and learning for the first time how to do it kind of every single day. Yeah. It made stopping so much more like dramatic. Cause I was like, I'm not struggling constantly <laughs> to like figure out how to do this. And instead you, it seems like you've created yourself like a landing pad, which is really nice. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, a going through like, like making a series, I think is like people often want to like put together a body of work and like not all of my bodies of work really need to be published as a book. Like my first large body of work, Arbor Neighbor, it was originally going to be a book. But after a lot of consideration and re-editing the photos and uh, putting them together, I was like, I like these photos. I think it's really important for me as an artist, but this is not, this isn't something that needs to be bound. 
Like I'm okay yeah. with it just being a bunch of prints in my archive and being on my website. Um, totally. But like having Dune, that honesty, it's a very is, different feeling. <laughs> having that honesty with yourself is is very very important. Um, we were talking about that earlier with editing in general. Is it comes down to just being able to like really br- be brutal on yourself in a weird way, and that's crucial. It's crucial in order to progress individually. Yeah. What what's always the worst um, is like what I what I did at the very beginning of the year was go through all of my photos between 2019 and now because everything mm-hmm. before 2019 was that book Arbor, or project Arbor Neighbor and moth and a few other things I did for class. But like I got two projects out of the way before 2019. So everything 2019 and on besides Dune Edge Face West has been just homeless, just stuff that's just floating in my hard drive. So I sat down for, for weeks going through every single photo, finalizing the edit for one, like the color grading and all that stuff, but also really being honest with myself. Like, is this a photo that's worth keeping? Like, is this photo good, like proper, honest to God, like this is a good photograph or is it just something that is worth just keeping in the, in the archive and not really letting see the light of day? Yeah. It's, it's hard to, to distinguish the sentimentality of your own work from the artistic merit that it could possess. And I don't know. I mean, from, from my perspective, I would just wait on things and wait and wait and wait. It's really hard because a lot of photographer being a photographer is inherently being impatient. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I think that it's, it's a real, like you're going against your own instincts a lot of the time Yeah. to have patience with your own work. But it, I mean, you may find a home for every single photo in a different place mm-hmm. as you progress and you know what you know what's like the story you want to tell i think is always developing and i think that the story that you are potentially able to tell is always developing so it's always better to have more ingredients than you need yeah like and later what, on you know yeah like one thing that i've always loved that my uh my old professor told uh told me and the rest of my fellow seniors um was that uh, a photographer thinks so much because it only takes one 125th of a second to take a picture. What else are we going to do with the rest of our time? Yeah. So we're just always thinking. Uh, yeah. so I, I just love that idea. Try. I think that we're so, there's so much, there's just, I don't know, especially now uh, with how, easy it is to document obsessively. <laughs> yeah. I think it's made it even harder um, to find the way to narrow it down and to really think about what's valuable and what isn't. But um, like that is the main problem that I've encountered that I'm sure everyone as a photographer or a visual artist in general has encountered where they're like, I have so many ideas and I have so many ways in which I can execute this, but how do I like, how do like, am I going to waste my time? I think that that's the worry. That's the worrisome part is that even though ironically we have all this time to begin with to think, 
it's like, is this going to be worthwhile? Is this going to be proper for my development? And that might be the, there's like a skewed idea of how quickly artists should develop now, especially, you know, we were saying that we were, you were saying that earlier, like how it's like everyone thinks that they have to have their like retrospective or their memoirs <laughs> ready. And it's like, we're 25. Like what? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, you're not dead. You know, you're, you're still like so rich for like massive change creatively. What I love is, um, Alex Soth, uh, he, in, in an interview that he did, I don't remember if it was a printed interview or a, like a audio, whatever. Um, he was talking about how he was having a retrospective at a particular major museum. I forget which museum it was. Um, but the entire time he's like talking to the curator and he's almost like joking about the fact that he's in his uh, late forties, early fifties, having his retrospective. Like he's like, he as a middle-aged man says that he's too young for a retrospective. Uh, Cause yeah. even now he's still figuring stuff out. Like he's in, like he's riding the ways of his artistic career and he still hasn't figured it out. But yet curators are like, yeah, we'd like to uh, have you come in and have a retrospective of your work. And he's just like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe they should lessen the intensity of what retrospective means. Like, I think that retrospective, people think that they can only have one. Yeah. <laughs> like, they can only have, <laughs> like, maybe make it into, like, a quarterly thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, where you, you have your, like, first quarter retrospective, and then you yeah. have your second quarter retrospective. You know, have like your early years and then you got your, um, like middle age and then all that. Like it's one thing for like Stephen Shore to, to have a retrospective, but for like Todd Heido or Alex Soth, it's like, these guys are in their late forties or whatever. Like, (laughs) like they're not that old as even in general. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is very strange that, uh, and I think it is just kind of the, the monetary value of, having a retrospective as a gallery owner. Yeah. It's, it's very important. And I, I mean, I don't know very much about the process, but I can imagine that the word retrospective draws a bigger audience. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and the curators like, are oh, always that's it. That's that. everything. That's everything they're ever going to make. <laughs> <It's> yeah. like, <laughs> like this, this is, is the best of the best, the hits baby. You know, it's like, <laughs> yep. Time, time to switch things up and play golf instead. Yes, exactly. I'm going to start labeling all of my series as retrospective one, retrospective two, <laughs> yeah. and see if that, that increases my success. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, kind of going back to like uh, thinking about the process of making, um, making American poetry, especially as you like self-published it and all that, um, from a more like formal standpoint, what was your process of figuring it out, like sequencing and all that, like from a literal standpoint, were you using like small prints or were you going through it digitally? Like what was the kind of bookmaking process as a whole? Well, for making American poetry, I, um, specifically just did it. I mean, I, I just did it digitally. It was, it was only digital and, um, it was just this constant going back and forth with, uh, my archive and looking through this massive, I mean, I have hundreds of images of signs and narrowing it down to 60 was a challenge. And I just did that digitally. And then I uh, found a book publishing company that works through a uh, printer in China. Yeah. Which uh, ideally, obviously, I would prefer to print local, but, you know, 
I haven't had my retrospective yet, so I can't really afford it. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> but I, I just, I, I sent out um, some of the most problematic, potentially problematic images, like in terms of like blacks and whites and the highlights and, you know, all that good stuff to get proofed um, the, through the offset printing that they do. And they sent me back all of them and they were fine because ultimately I realized that these images are not, uh, they're, 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 there's barely any editing on them in comparison to my other stuff. I think that cause it, it's meant to be perceived as it's presented. I think that that's, it's you know, I, I want it to be seen as naturally as it would be. Like I shot them through car windows. I shot them through, uh, like just brief passing, like seconds that you would get to actually see a sign. And I just kind of took that. So ultimately there wasn't a lot of complexity in the, in the, uh, consistency, all that what needed to be consistent was what the words were saying. <laughs> and I think that, and, and that was really a challenge. Cause I was like, I don't want these to like, it, this isn't all one long poem. They're individual. And that's what led me to kind of arrange them in the way that I did. It's kind of like a so, poetry uh, book, but instead of just words printed on a page, the poems themselves are the individual photographs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that out of context, when you strip them of context, I think that they become even more like poetry. If you, if you look at it as if you're, as if you're like, Oh, like here's a book of signs that someone found. These people are insane. Like (laughs) you would just go through it and you'd be like, Oh, this is like horrifying that people think this and that they felt the need to like put it on a sign. But when you remove the context or you remove like some of the signs, like don't have all of the words that were there. Some of the signs, you know, are, are like obscured or whatever that makes it, that to me at least makes it poetry to where it's this outsider art form almost where it, I I love the idea of messing with public perception in terms of, I mean, this is obviously very complex for what I do. I rarely have the chance to do this, but messing with public perception and public narrative in a way like that was very reminiscent of like Jenny Holzer to me, who I greatly admire um, in terms of like the ability to, 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 I, I, it's like a monument, you know, it's like this, I've, I've always been really interested in the concept of like um, shrines and monuments and like how human beings communicate with one another over time. You know, and that's like, that's kind of what they're doing is the signs. It's like, I don't know how long these signs have been there. I don't know if the context even stands still, but I'm reading it and the person's voice is reaching me still. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's worth documenting to me, you know? Yeah. And what I do love about um, how it kind of flows is this, I, I guess this idea of being a poetry book is that like there obviously are the words, but, um, like the surroundings and the other objects within the scene also act within that same poem in like a more vague way, whether it's like a symbol, like a cross or whatever, Mm -hmm. or a drawing on the sign or something like that. Or it it, it all kind of like flows really well with how you decided to choose what is within the frame as that, that sense of writing the poem is you're framing it in a particular way, including certain words and different symbols, whether, whether it's like, you know, daisies coming up from the ground or something else. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I think that as, as human beings, 
there's this universal trait that comes with like shrine making in a weird yeah. way. Like whenever, like across cultures, um, whenever someone dies on the side of the road or something like that, it doesn't matter where you are. People will gather and they will put all of these like items and they'll make this like monument to the person. And it's this like form of it's, it's, it's so, uh, I don't know. It's, it seems so natural to people to do that. And I think that, Originally with the, with the work, I was like, oh my God, these signs are crazy. Like all these people are saying these things that are just like (laughs) mind blowingly strange and like unasked for. But then as I got deeper into it, I began finding signs that were usually religious. Like usually the religious ones were the most poetic go figure. Yeah. Um, but they would be saying something and it's like, what in like, it is legitimately like prose. It is so. Uh, mysterious and strange. And when you remove it from just someone trying to steer someone towards the church, I think that it becomes this just really kind of beautiful statement in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It's really interesting seeing how that, how that all works out there. Uh, With, um, with all the, the process in mind um, for, for anyone that's listening that, is wanting to make some kind of bound piece of work, whether it's a zine or a full book or whatever. Do do you have any, any tips that you could give from learning about the process that you've made? Yeah, I think I would always focus on the feeling, you know, I mean, we were saying this earlier, how it is about the feeling and, it's about the kind of sequencing of things that are, that come naturally. And I think especially with something as tangible as a photo book, where it's this physical like tome of your work, it's intimidating to, to publish that and have the anticipation of like, Oh, I hope someone likes my work enough that they'll buy like, you know, 126 pages of it. Yeah. But Ultimately, if you can, if you can translate how you feel about the work within it, um, this sounds so vague and I don't know if it's helpful at all, (laughs) but I I think that it is about, um, start, start with that. I think that start with the arrangement completely on your own and start with an arrangement that is true to you. And then as you begin to edit, do not overexert yourself and do not spread yourself too thin to the point where you're getting too many opinions and that it becomes something, it it doesn't become, it's no longer your book in a weird way. I think that if you, if you have too many cooks in the kitchen, it's going to ultimately lead to your own disappointment. So have like a few people look at it that you trust and try not to take it too seriously. I think that that's a big one is that I was really lucky because I have a very good friend who has published his own books And he helped me out through a lot of it. I don't know if I could have really done it without him because he kind of went through the process completely on his own and kind of like made all of the mistakes that he told, he helped me avoid. So I had the benefit of that. And if I could share that with anyone else, like I would be so much happy, I would be very happy to pass on the favor. So, you know, it's any, if there's ever any questions about the process, like I'm always willing to share. (laughs) Yeah. 
I think uh, as I start closing things off, I got uh, two other questions here. One of them, I like to kind of finish finish off nowadays with this question is, um, who are some artists, regardless of media, photography or not, who are some artists that really inspire you and influence your work, whether it's obvious or not? That's a really good question. Um, I always think about this one a lot. <laughs> I think yeah. this, this is so hard because it's I am just uh, kind of a glutton for content and I'm a glutton for like just media in general. And I feel like sometimes I oversaturate myself to the point where I there's too many to count. But if I had to narrow it down in terms of like certain other forms of media, um, I really like the storytelling of like Cormac McCarthy and uh, Flannery O'Connor. They're both very like Western-y and gothic, go figure. (laughs) (laughs) And that kind of uh, helps me come up with stories on my own and kind of taught me a lot about um, how to document something that could, something that is ominous in a very unflinching sense. And then, um, like I was saying earlier, uh, Jenny Holzer is a huge influence to me. She's um, definitely a huge influence on American poetry. Um, Photography-wise, I would say um, Andrew Moore, Stephen Shore. um, There's just too many to count, really. (laughs) I think, (laughs) you know, it's it's so challenging. Like, I could just look through all the photo books that I own, like uh, Alex Soth, uh, Philip Lorca de Carica, I probably butchered that name, but I always get it wrong um, too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, there's just so much, uh, out there in terms of inspiration for me that, um, I don't know. I'm always very taken aback by whenever I like start going on that. I'm like, Oh, here are the people that I'm influenced by. And I'm just going and going and going and rambling. I'm like, I need to learn how to edit this. Like, right. I I figured out how to like try to edit down my own work. And it's like, maybe I should edit down my like influences a little bit (laughs) because it's just all over the place. But yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it changes a lot, but right now that's, those are the, those are the few people that I'm pretty into. So to kind of, Close things off. Finally, the last thing I got is just: Do you got any anything that you would like to kind of tell to any listeners that just kind of help them along the way? Any just like these are like the main tips I would give to any photographer ever. Yeah, uh, my tips would be um, really put yourself into a position where you are experiencing what you're documenting. I think that that's really important is that a lot of the time I've, I'm very guilty of this, of going somewhere and not being in the moment and present while shooting it. And then I'll get back and be very unhappy with what I get. And as a photographer, I think it's really important that we're, well, we're really lucky as photographers to be able to experience in real life, these moments that are, we're documenting as art in a way it's like performative and see it that way. I think that if you can find a way to kind of um, envelop yourself in it and make it a performance or make it a exploration or an adventure for yourself, it makes the work that much more valuable, I think. And people can see that too, you know? I think you should always, uh, always rely on the gut instinct and all that good stuff that is said a million times. But ultimately my advice would be, uh, 
see it as an adventure and an experience rather than the arduous chore. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, that's, that's all real good stuff. Uh, I think that's one thing that I definitely need to, um, I've been needing to work on that a little bit more with, uh, especially when I go to these little towns I've never been to is making sure that, Oh, I'm just here to copy Stephen Shore again. Like, (laughs) like uh, keeping myself in check in that regard. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah, something I'm I need to work on myself. That too. <laughs> but yeah, I think to kind of, uh, officially tie things off, um, where can people take a look at your work? Um, my work is on my website at brendanburton.com. Uh, and I post on Instagram occasionally and Twitter occasionally. And I still have a Tumblr nice anyone's interested in that if like there's like any of the three people using tumblr listening right um but yeah i think that i guess my my website would probably be the best example of my work so well yeah i think that's all pretty good all those links of course are going to be in the description um and you guys can take a look through it um on the youtube version of this of course you guys have been seeing photos popping up on the screen and all that so all is all is good in that regard so yeah, Brendan, thank you so much for uh, for talking with me today. It's been an awesome conversation before we recorded and during, of course. So it's been a really awesome time getting to know you and getting to know your work a little bit more. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, yeah. Hopefully we'll talk again sometime soon. And if I'm ever finding myself in the Pacific Northwest, I'll be sure to hit you up and we can go shooting if you want. Yes, please do. I would love to... Uh show you around to some like weird abandoned houses and hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, thank you all for listening and I'll see you in the next one.